Back here on this Saturday morning, Sports Medicine Weekly. I'm Steve Cashel with Dr. Charles Bush-Joseph, filling in again this week for Dr. Brian Cole. And time now for the staple of the show, our Ask the Doctor segment. It's very easy. If you've got a question, even a topic that you want us to discuss, uh, please feel free. Go to our website, sportsmedicineweekly.com, and on that homepage, you go to the right side, and you'll see the picture of Dr. Brian Cole and myself, and just click on underneath our picture, and you can ask the doctor a question. We always get lots of good questions from our listeners, and first one, uh, Dr. Chuck, here we go. This comes from John, and you've got to explain who this person is, as he talks about a specific doctor right here. What are your thoughts, Dr. Charles Bush-Joseph, on Dr. Poletta's primary repair on elbow? You know, see, this is an interesting one. It's kind of come up over the past three to five years. And really, uh, Dr. George Paletta, who's the head team physician of the St. Louis Cardinals, has published on it recently. Although, actually, one of our team physicians, Dr. Jeff Dugas, uh, down in Birmingham, Alabama, is actually really one of the guys who, who, uh, who developed this technique. And really what we're finding that in professional athletes, and certainly high-level college athletes, when we, they injure their ulnar collateral ligament, or their Tommy John ligament, as we call it, we have to replace it because the ligament's usually damaged. It's not repairable, and it's a long recovery. So you hear about our athletes, certainly in, on a major league level, are out anywhere from 12 to 15 months. What we found out over the past couple of years, and newer evidence by Dr. Paletta kind of confirms this, is that in younger, healthy athletes, usually high school age, if they have an acute traumatic injury and they tear their ulnar collateral ligament while pitching, usually in a baseball game or in practice, that we don't have to always replace it. We can just repair it. And instead of a 12 to 15-month recovery, we're getting these kids back really throwing and even competing at about five to seven months. Wow. Now, we're not sure how this would hold up in, in the long-term scheme. And so certainly on a high-level Division One or professional athletes, we're still doing reconstruction. But this is really the, the treatment of choice now for these younger athletes that want to play their senior season or even play some Division Two or Division Three college ball. That's interesting stuff. So this uh, this doc has his uh, own name. Have you done any of those? I mean, yeah, I do quite a bit of you know. I probably do right? uh, ten to fifteen, and uh, probably this spring. Sometimes uh, we're unfortunately entering the baseball uh, time of the year with all you know with the with spring and everybody's high school seasons are up and running. Uh, this is the time the kids get hurt. All right. So what's again the determination between doing the full blown Tommy John surgery and then just the repair? It's two factors. Number one, it's the age of the patient, they're younger, they have better healing capacity, but most importantly is the nature and quality of the ligament. So if we had an acute injury on a previously normal elbow, yeah. those ones we just repair. If the, if, if the young athlete says, you know, I've had a sore elbow for six to nine months and now I just can't throw at all, it's really gone, those are the kids where the ligament, the tissue's poor, and we actually have to do a replacement or a full Tommy John. How's the repair done then surgically? It's, it's pretty similarly surger, surgically. You know, it still requires an incision. It's an outpatient operation. It's just everything's accelerated. The rehab, instead of having to wait four months before we even allow the athletes to start playing catch, we can let them start playing catch at two and a half, three months. So uh, it's a healing process as opposed to a replacement process. So the blood supply to the tissue is inherently better, uh, and just it's a better healing potential. Okay, one other question on this. A guy like a guy like Kopech, okay, you did the full blown out, right, UCL, Tommy John surgery. On the professional athletes, would you consider the repair? Or for a young guy like that who's going to be a star, 
it's better to do the t- full Tommy John. We're going to do the full Tommy John. In, 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 a, in a player like Michael at that level, we're looking for the most durable solution. And so uh, we think that there's really nothing better than a full-blown Tommy John or replacement. Again, this goes back to high school kids. I just I want to get back to my senior season. You know, it's my last chance of playing competitive ball. After that, I'm going to move into my, you know, to my men's league or softball season. So, uh, again, for the acute young athlete, this is really a good solution nowadays. Great stuff. All right, question two here comes from Dave in Lincoln Park. With so many conference tournaments taking place right before the NCAA tournament, we had those a couple weeks ago. What are your thoughts, Doc, regarding these young athletes playing so many back-to-back games within a 10-day span? Really, uh, I mean, some of these tournaments, these teams, some of these teams might play five games, right, if you keep winning and you start it on Wednesday. Well, now that we're into the, uh, you know, to the, to the big dance in the NCAA, we're past the, the, the tournament, uh, the conference tournaments. But I think what you see is, yeah, the injury rate is higher for these kids. And, and I, I remember I'm a Big Ten fan because I grew up and went to Big Ten schools. You know, watching the teams that played those multiple games, they had to play that Wednesday-Thursday game before they played the Friday-Saturday game. Those guys are just running out of gas. And so certainly their overuse injuries, if they had them, uh, we're, we're, we're sort of acting up on them. They're losing some of their hops or jumps. Uh, but more importantly, which like we know in a lot of younger athletes, fatigue does raise the risk of acute injury. So there's a chance that all these players and their coaches and trainers are taking, but by the same token, if this is your opportunity to play in the big dance, you're going to take that chance. Absolutely. What are the biggest um, concerns? What are the challenges? What what injuries pop up? I know I know Dr. Cole and I have talked about this, the fatigue factor, right? More ACLs are torn in the fourth quarter, and that makes sense, right? I mean, remember Derek Rose's, right? Well, how much? You have two minutes to go in the game or something? Two minutes left in the game, and, and unfortunately, what, what a change, of course, of history that actually led to. You know, for most of the athletes, yes, as they, as they fatigue, instead of landing – down with their with their knees flexed and good body position, they're coming down more on a straight leg. A lot more you see guys coming down and they off a jump and they're landing on another player's foot and they roll in their ankle hard. Usually because just those supporting muscles are fatigued and don't react quite as fast or as quickly. So again, you know that that kind of goes back to our younger athletes, certainly our high school and our our junior high athletes. We have to as coaches recognize that these kids are not infatigable. And that there are times we have to give them rest, uh, really for their safety as much as anything else. That's Dr. Charles Bush Joseph, the orthopedic surgeon from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, filling in this week for Dr. Brian Cole. Dr. Chuck was a longtime head team physician with the Chicago White Sox, still works with the White Sox and, of course, the Chicago Bulls. I'm Steve Cashel. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly and our Ask the Doctor segment. Again, if you want to get involved, go to our website, sportsmedicineweekly.com. Click on the homepage. Underneath the picture of Dr. Brian Cole on the right side of that homepage, you can Click on that link and ask the doctor a question. All right, question three, Doc, in this segment. Do you recommend, and please explain what this is, because I know what it is, but you can explain it better than I can, chondroitin for achy joints. Do you recommend chondroitin for achy joints? You know, Steve, I I think um, I do, and and I'll tell you why. You know, uh, chondroitin and glucosamine, they generally comes together. And so when you see all these supplements uh, over-the-counter, and they're generally, it's an over-the-counter. You can get them at Sam's or Costco's or or Walgreens or anywhere. Uh, Glucosamine and chondroitin are two essential elements that the body produces naturally itself to help nourish cartilage. And so the thought process is, it goes back to the old Linus Pauling theory that, 
well, I, vitamin C helps me fight off viruses and colds. So if I take massive amounts of vitamin C, that I'm increasing my resistance and lowering those episodes of cold and flu. Well, unfortunately, the science doesn't really bear it out. And if you look at a high level of ev evidence, taking glucosamine and chondroitin supplements, really there's not strong proof that it, that it really helps or that it actually certainly does not regrow cartilage. But if you look at large population studies, like in Europe where they take 3,000 patients who have arthritis and they've got sore joints and they take glucosamine and chondroitin supplements, probably about 50% of those patients feel improved, have better quality of life and better activity scores. Now, half of that may be biologic effect, half of it may be placebo. So what we don't know, but what we do in practice or what I do in practice, I tell everybody, yeah, it's worth a try. You know, there's very little downside to taking these types of natural supplements, especially glucosamine and chondroitin. And you got to take them for anywhere from four to six weeks. And usually it says two or three capsules once or twice a day uh, to really know whether you're getting benefit. And surprisingly, a number of patients say yes. And some patients say, no, doc, I took it for six weeks and I stopped and I didn't feel any difference. So uh, I think it's really worth a shot. There's no downside to it because it is, quote, a supplement as opposed to a drug. Uh, so uh, I think if you're arthritic or you got chronic achy joints, uh, take a swing at it. What are we looking for in ingredients? Anything jump out? I mean, are all those companies that making chondroitin and uh, glucosamine? Glucosamine. Yeah, I, I would are say they this. the same. You know, you, there are varying manufacturers with varying quality. Uh, as long as it has glucosamine and chondroitin and you think it's from a reputable manufacturer, that's what it needs. Now, several of the brand companies try to differentiate themselves by one adds a little magnesium, one adds a little vitamin E. There's things that they do to differentiate themselves in the market. But as long as it's got glucosamine and chondroitin, those are the essential elements you're looking for for joint health. All right, final question from our Ask the Doctor segment. What are nightshades? You know, nightshades is a vegetable. It's a whole class of vegetables. Usually includes uh, tomatoes and uh, peppers, red peppers, uh, uh, egg, eggplant parmesan. Those are all nightshade uh, type, uh, type vegetables. And uh, nightshades generally have a... Uh, a single compound called salicinine, which is a sort of a, uh, you know, a chemical that some people think, or there's some, uh, I hate to say, old wives' tales, that nightshade vegetables can aggravate or propagate arthritic problems, especially patients with autoimmune disease. Generally, that's not the case. Most people that have problems with nightshades usually have food sensitivities, and nightshades actually can cause considerable problems. I, and I'll go to my wife. My wife, Vicki, was one of them. She, she loved tomatoes. We ate tomatoes like crazy. We had a garden in our, in our backyard, and she breastfed, and our first two kids just screamed and screamed and screamed. And she figured out, I better stop e eating tomatoes, and our third child had no problems. And so that's actually a pretty common response. Most people that have problems with nightshades, usually it's due to food sensitivity. And if you're having medical ill issues, whether it be uh, gluten-free or all these other types of uh, diets that many of our experts on this program have advocated, uh, nightshades is one of, those, uh, one of those food classes that you're going to sort of trial in and out on. Great stuff. Dr. Charles Bush-Joseph filling in this week for Dr. Brian Cole. Great to see you, Dr. Chuck. Thanks so much for your help. Steve, always a pleasure to be here on a Saturday morning. Appreciate it. Our producer, Shane Reardon. Our coordinating producer, Teresa Ann Seeger. Many thanks to David Cole for running our website and our business operations. Also, Samantha Smith 
from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. For Dr. Chuck, I'm Steve Cashel. Thanks so much for listening to us here on Sports Medicine Week. We'll be back with you again next Saturday, 8 a.m. for another edition. Coming up next, it's Early Odds with Joe Ostrowski. Talk with you again next week for Sports Medicine Weekly, only on 670 The Score.